0: Thanks, Claire. Claire, doing the hefting this morning. A lot of reading. Uh, before we start, uh, Jackie and Jeremy, welcome back. Back from honeymoon. Yes, congratulations, you guys. It's good to have you back. Um, this morning, we're continuing our series in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and just as a quick reminder, uh, this, Ezra and Nehemiah, two books, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's one book telling the story of the people returning from exile into the Promised Land, Um, And it has, this story kind of unfolds in three phases. The first phase that that we will finish this morning is is the rebuilding of the temple. Um, And then the the second phase, which starts in Ezra chapter 7, is the time of Ezra when he seeks to rebuild the community, so reintroducing God's law to the people. And then Nehemiah is about rebuilding the city and the city walls. And today we're getting to the end of this first part. Uh, And we see that the temple is finally completed, and that's just in time for us to take a break for the start of Advent next Sunday, where we'll spend four weeks in the run-up to Christmas. I can't believe it's that close, but four weeks in the run-up to Advent looking at uh, why Jesus came. Um, And on that note, uh, just while I remember, um, some people are getting together here on Tuesday night to to decorate for the Advent time and Christmas. So if you want to help and they need help to do that, uh, come along what time? Half six. Half six. Come here and there'll be, uh, I don't know, drinks and stuff like that. Um, I don't know what kind of drinks. Maybe like coffee and tea and maybe mulled wine or something. Who knows? Get festive. Come and decorate on Tuesday night. Um, Let me pray for us and ask for God's help, uh, and then we'll we'll get into Ezra 5 and 6. Father, we do thank you for your Word. Thank you that these uh, records of events that happened two and a half thousand years ago or more um, are actually you speaking to us, your people, this morning. Uh, we want to hear your voice. Um, we, we, we need you, Lord, uh, and we believe that you want to speak to us. Um, so give us ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this week, uh, for me at least, there's only been one story dominating the news, and it's not the a Chancellor's Autumn statement. It's not the human rights violations in Qatar. It's not even the war in Ukraine. It's Piers Morgan's interview with Cristiano Ronaldo. That's the thing that I've been obsessed with this week. Now, I'm not somebody that normally listens to Piers Morgan. Uh, don't paint me with that brush, please. Uh, but when it emerged last Sunday after Alejandro Gonaccio scored with his final kick of the game, the winning goal for Manchester United away at Fulham, I was like, this is great, we're back, and then Ronaldo came crashing into our worlds, and I knew that I was going to be hooked all week on this, and they released, they started releasing clips day by day, drip feeding me, and, and I was teased, and I was, I, was, I was drawn in, I was hooked on this, it was going to be explosive, it was going to be uh, revelations, it was Ronaldo's time to have a say, and as the week went on, I just couldn't wait to see the full interview. And they showed both two parts of it over Wednesday and Thursday night. I stayed up late both nights because I had things on those evenings. I got home and, and watched it on demand so I could stay up late and watch it. And for all the hype and for all the build-up, I was thoroughly underwhelmed. <laughs> I was thoroughly disappointed. There was nothing that explosive or even that exclusive for that matter. Uh, and all week I was hanging on every word that was coming out, leading me to think that, that I was on something really good and this is going to be juicy and I was going to be satisfied. And I was left completely unfulfilled. Now, I don't know what voices you've been listening to this week. Hopefully not. Piers Morgan and Cristiano Ronaldo um, but the words and voices that we listen to have the power to shape our lives, don't they? Um, maybe it was for you the, 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 the autumn budget statement from the Chancellor. Maybe that has left you feeling uh, scared or nervous or even pleased, I don't know, depending on your politics. Um, but the question I want us to think about this morning is, is what voices do we pay attention to? What words do we pay attention to? What, what, what things do that, that, that we pay attention to that l- try to lead us towards satisfaction? Because the truth is that, that all of us are guided by things outside of ourselves. That's just the way we are. That's just the way we're programmed to be. None of us exist in a bubble, and certainly none of us arrive at any of the opinions we have or the values that we hold without being led and shaped and, and molded by various voices in our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves, What voices are shaping us and guiding us as we make our way through life? And for us, God's people, there really should be only one answer to that question, right? We need to be guided and shaped by the voice of God. In Ezra 5 and 6, we see that the temple is finally completed, but but there's two key things to notice. And the first one is that, that the opposition to God's people hasn't stopped. The opposition is continuing. But the second thing to notice is that the temple is completed even in the face of that opposition, because they are obedient to God's Word. Last week we saw, uh, when when we are faithful to Jesus, we will face opposition. But through any opposition, we can be sure that God will be faithful to His people by keeping the promises He makes to us in His Word. Here's one thing that we can count on as Christians. God will always keep His Word. God will always keep His Word. There's nothing that He says that He will not make happen. It's impossible for God to be a hypocrite. It's impossible for God to lie. And and we live in a time of confusion and chaos. Even some of those news stories I mentioned, all right, um, they don't really give us anything to depend on, do they? None None of the voices in the world seem very reliable right now. And on top of this, Opposition to Jesus seems just as bad as it has ever been, but Ezra five and six encourage us to hold on to God's word. Hold on to God's word. Second Peter verses, Second Peter one um, verses three to four says this: His divine power, that's God's divine power, has granted to us, that's the church, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become, we the church may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, now Peter is writing a letter to Christians who are, are facing opposition, major opposition, persecution, persecution. And, and listen to what he says. He says that God in His power, right, because of this divine power, in that power, He has give, given us everything we need to live a godly life, to everything he, we need to, to live a life in obedience to Him. And how has He done this? Through the knowledge of Himself. So, if you're living in a time of opposition, God in His power has given you everything you need to live for Him, and He's done this through the knowledge of Himself. And how has He given the, us this knowledge of Himself by giving us His precious and very great promises. In other words, everything we need for living a godly life, everything we need to live in obedience to Jesus is given to us through His Word. And so, if I could sum up today's message in one phrase, it would be this. We need to be faithful to God's Word because God is faithful to His Word. We need to be faithful to God's Word because God is faithful to His Word. And maybe I can even put it more simply than that. Maybe we can say, We need to let God's Word guide and direct us because God always keeps His promises. This is what we see in Ezra chapter 5 and 6, that the the people are facing opposition, but as they listen to what God is saying through His prophets, God is faithful to His promises and the temple is completed. And the first part of this uh, marathon reading that Claire read for us uh, is is verses 1 to 5 in chapter 5. And in this, we see that when we obey God's Word, it will give us direction. Look at the start again. Look at verses 1 to 2. Now, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, what a cool name, Edo, not many baby Edo's around these days, uh, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the, name of, uh, in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jeho- Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, Haggai and Zechariah were prophets, right? They have two little books. You know, those, you know those minor prophet books at the end of the Old Testament that you never read, and you don't know what order they come in? They're in there, and they were with these guys. They had come out of exile back to the promised land with the God's people, and they were speaking in the name of God. That means that they carried the authority of God, they could say, this is what God has sent, okay? Now, for us, God speaks through the Bible. That's how, that's how God speaks to us. This is God's Word for us. But in the Old Testament, they didn't have the full Bible yet. God hadn't fully re- revealed Himself through Scripture yet. Jesus still hadn't come. The temple hadn't even been rebuilt. Jesus hadn't come. They didn't have the start of the, the church, and so God gave them prophets, And so, we can say that the prophets were speaking the Word of God to the people of God. And that's exactly what the Bible does for us. The Bible is the Word of God speaking to the people of God. And it's when Haggai and Zechariah speak the Word of God to the people that they get up and start the work. This is what the Word of God does. The Word of God gives the church direction, this is why everything we do and believe and say and preach and teach is based on the Bible. It's why we say, this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's not just a, a phrase that we repeat. It it's actually it, it means something. Because the Bible is God speaking to His Word, speaking, to, speaking His Word to His people. The Bible gives us direction, and without it, we wouldn't know what direction to go. What voices are you listening to in your life? I mean, if I listen to Cristiano Ronaldo, then the most important thing in the world is to have the most Instagram followers in the world, which only one person can do. But if we are the people of God, then we need to be directed and guided by the Word of God. What else is there to be guided by, really, when you think about it? Where else will we get our direction from? One of my favorite passages in the Bible, I say that a lot, I think. (laughs) This is like a favorite passage of mine. But this really is. In John chapter 6, Jesus is, is talking and he says some really difficult things about the cost of following him. This is what it's going to cost you to follow me. And everyone, all his disciples, all the crowds that have been following him leave, except for the twelve. And Jesus turns around him and he says, are you guys not going to leave me too? And, and Peter replies with the most astonishing words. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is the posture that we need to have as a church and as individuals. All the other voices in the world cannot give us what the words of Jesus can. all the voices that we have competing to get our attention in our daily lives. I heard this week I don't know how I, I, I don't know if, if this is based on statistics, but it, it rung true, but I heard this week that the average person today um, takes in more information. In one day than the average Victorian person did in a year. And that rings true, doesn't it? We're bombarded by information. Every time we pick up our phone, we're bombarded by information. And all these voices offering us fulfillment and healing and belonging and satisfaction, but none of them can offer us what we find in the words of Jesus eternal life. And so maybe. Maybe we need to hear this morning the Lord gently just probing us. What, what voices are you listening to? Like what, do you pay, what do you really pay attention to? What words are you following? What words do you live by? What, what, what voices are shaping your worldview and, your, and giving you your values and your opinions? Opinions of yourself and the world. Like, do you believe what you tell yourself about you? Or do you believe what God tells you about you? Do you listen to the voices of influencers and politicians to shape how you see the world? Or do you let the Holy Spirit form your worldview through His Word? Lord, to to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I wish that was my prayer every single morning before I pick up my phone. And in Ezra chapter 5, it's interesting how God's Word gives direction to the people. You see, it's God's Word that's spoken through Haggai and Zechariah, but then it's the leaders, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, who lead the people in following God's Word. These two guys, were, they were responsible for hearing what, what, um, what the prophets had said and then leading the people in applying that. And this is how God's Word directs the church. God's Word gives us direction, and it's the leadership of the church that guides us in obedience to that direction. This is the way the church always has been, even back to its earliest days. In Acts chapter 6, um, the the church appoints deacons to serve the practical needs of the community so that the apostles could get on with the work of serving the, the Word to the people. They led the church by preaching and teaching the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 says that, and He gave, that's, that's God, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, notice it's not, it's not the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers who, who do the work of ministry. They are given to the body for building up the body and for equipping the body for the work of ministry. So, in order uh, to equip His people for the work that He has given them to do, God has given the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. uh, We call shepherds and teachers, we call them pastors. And what's the one thing that all these kinds of of people have in, in common? They're all about speaking and ministering the Word of God. What do the apostles do? The apostles were given to the church to speak the Word of God. They're kind of like New Testament prophets. The prophets speak the Word of God. Evangelists speak the gospel. That is the Word of God. And pastors, shepherds teach the people the Word of God. The church is guided by its leaders uh, speaking the Word of God. It's the Word that gives us direction, and it's the leaders of the church who guide us in following that direction. So, so here's, here's something I want to say. If you're a member of this church and, and your leaders start leading you in ways that aren't biblical, moving in ways that aren't in the direction of God's Word, then you do not have to follow. Like, if I am up here saying to you things week after week that are not in God's Word, then you don't have to listen to what I'm saying. In fact, as members of the body, we need you to challenge us if we try to take you in a way that is not in the direction of God's Word, One of our core values in villages is God's Word dwelling among us, and and that's an intentional thing. We have a commitment to to Scripture, uh, that the Scripture is is what makes the church unique to every other community in our city. We believe that God reveals Himself primarily through Scripture, and so we need to not just hear it, we need to be shaped and molded by it, just like the people in Ezra and Nehemiah were. Ezra chapter 5 God spoke His Word, and the people followed. The people listened and followed. Why do we need to be shaped and molded by God's Word? what did Peter say? To whom shall we go? Only Jesus has the words of eternal life, and when we obey God's Word, it gives us direction. So, what voices are we listening to? What are we allowing to guide us and shape our lives? And so, the work in the temple continues, but so does the opposition that we saw last week. In the second part of chapter 5, verses 6 to 17, we see this opposition really taking shape. There's this guy called Tatanai. Uh, not such a fan of the name Tatanai. I like Edo better. Um, baby Edo, that's what I want. Somebody have a baby and call it Edo. That'd be great. Um, not Tatanai. Tatanai and all his officials, they come to, to the people who are working on the temple, and they're like, hey, uh, who are you? I want a list the names here, Please. And what a thought, you can imagine with a clipboard, like, um, you know, that kind of way. This is all part of the intimidation, all part of the fear that we saw last week. And not only that, then they, they, they rat them out to the king. He writes a letter to the king, essentially just telling on them. But what I really want to focus on here is the response to this opposition. And that's our second point this morning. When we obey God's Word, it gives us direction. But when we obey God's Word, we will be honest when faced with opposition, We'll be honest about who we are and what God is doing. See, Tatanai says in his letter to the emperor that he asked God's people all these questions. What are your names? I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to take a note of your names and, and so I can give those names to the king. And in verses 11 to 16, he tells the king how they responded. And the response, I, I find it so fascinating and so encouraging, right? In all they do, when faced with opposition is simply be upfront and honest. Like firstly, they say who they are. Verse 11, we are the servants of of the God of heaven and earth. This is their identity. You want to know who we are? Well, that's who we are. We, We serve the God of heaven and earth. I love that their distinction is uh, the, 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 the kings of Persia, they, they, want, they always talk about the God who is in Israel, like He's some little local deity. And, and the Jews are like, no, He's the God of heaven and earth, and we serve Him. We are God's people. That's just who we are. And listen, we realize that you guys believe in all other kinds of gods, but we are the servants of God of heaven and earth, and He is over all of it. He has authority over every sphere of existence, and, and this is who we are. And secondly, they honestly respond by saying what they're doing. So who they are and what they're doing? In verse 11, they say, we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago. We're rebuilding the temple. We're on mission for God. Look, we know that you don't really like what we're up to here, but we're simply doing what God has told us to do in His Word. The prophets have spoken to us. We've heard God speak, and we're just simply following Him. They're honest about who they are and what they're doing. And, and then they're open about their own wrongdoing and how God has intervened. In other words, they use the opposition as an opportunity to share the gospel. Isn't, I, I find this so incredible. In verses 12 and 13, they say that they were taken into exile because of their wrongdoing. But, but they, they say, we deserve punishment. We deserve to be in exile away from God and all the blessings that He wanted to give us. But then God made a way for us to come out of exile and He's given us authority to be about His business. He's brought us back to the home that He has prepared for us. Now, do you see how incredible this is? They are being directed and guided by God's Word through the prophets. And when they are faced with opposition, they are simply honest and upfront about who they are, what they're doing, and then use that as an opportunity to share what God has done in their life. Their obedience to God's Word leads them to behave in this way. And listen, church, when when we face opposition for following Jesus, and maybe that's not, you know, I've been in loads of situations where it's just uncomfortable conversations. Questioning, questioning, questioning. Well, Well, When we face opposition, God doesn't need us to rise up and defend Him. He doesn't need, nor does He want us to rush to His aid and start arguing with people. We don't need to prove any points. Like, like God is going to be just fine without us arguing with people to defend Him. But when we are opposed because of our faith in Jesus or, or because we're doing what He has called us to, all we need to do is be honest about who we are, what we are doing, and what God has done in our lives. It's that simple. And if we're honest, it's probably ourselves that we want to defend, not God, isn't it? <laughs> That's how I felt before. We want to we make sure we get our point across so we don't look stupid. Listen, you know I'm a smart person. I'm intelligent. I, I'm logical. And we want to make sure that we have an answer for all the hard questions so that we can prove to others that we're right. But listen, we don't need to do any of that. We don't need to defend God. We don't need to defend ourselves. Our job is not to win arguments, Our job is to be a witness. So When you're in work and someone's saying, "Why are are you crazy? God, you think this about this? All you have to say is like, listen, I'm a servant of the God of heaven and earth and I'm doing what I think he's telling me to do. And by the way, this is what he's done in my life. I was exiled and now he's brought me back. We don't have to be bold in our ability to say the right things and answer every attack that comes our way. We just have to be bold in who we are and what God has done for us. 1 Peter 3.15, going back to uh, Peter's writing again to these uh, Christians who are uh, opposed, similar how it mirrors what's going on in Ezra. He says this, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. How often have Christians missed out that last sentence there, do it with gentleness and respect? Now, Peter doesn't say, be ready to have all the answers and enter into all the debates and be ready to win all those debates. He doesn't say that. We are simply called to tell people why we have hope in a hopeless world and to do it with gentleness and respect. And this also comes back to what we saw Peter say to Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, listen, if we really believe that, if we really believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life, why would we try to win arguments with what we think and defend our reputation? Why would we not simply point to the one who has the words of eternal life? Just gently and humbly sharing who we are in Him and what He has done for us. Now, listen, I also know that for some of us, uh, and uh, me, when an argument says a temptation when we're opposed. Maybe you're that kind of person too. That when your friends ask you difficult questions, you 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 know you want to rise up and be like, well, I've got I've got all the answers. Come at me. But but I, I suspect that for many many of you, even the thought of trying to have this conversation or or answer someone's difficult questions is terrifying. Like you just want to hide under the table when someone asks you, oh, you're a Christian. <laughs> but here's the encouragement. You don't have to have all the answers. The Israelites didn't go into the moral and ethical implications of rebuilding the temple. They didn't give theological reasons for its position, its size, and its decoration, and all those kinds of things. They didn't feel the need to go into any of that. In the face of opposition, all they did was be honest and upfront. Listen, I might not have the answers to all your questions, but I know that I belong to Jesus. And I want to tell you what he's done in my life. This is what God has done for me. I wronged him. I ended up away from his presence. But because of his mercy and love, he's made a way for me to come back. And that's now why I'm trying to serve him. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's all any of us have to do. Not to win arguments, but to be a witness. So if you feel nervous or scared to talk to people, especially when they're coming at you with opposition, Just be faithful to God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Just be a witness to to who you are in Him and what He has done. And the amazing thing is, I've never seen anyone in some kind of theological debate or moral debate, suddenly the scales fall from their eyes and they turn to Jesus. I've never seen that, but I have seen people turn to Jesus when someone just shares, "This this is who I am in Him and this is what He's done for me. The Holy Spirit uses this approach to bring his lost children home. And in chapter 6, then, we get the king's response to this letter from Tatanai. And it's fair to say that it probably wasn't the response that Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, by the way, is just, I wish I had a map to show you, it's just a way of saying that area, Israel, what we think of Israel, beyond the river Euphrates. Tatanai is that governor. But he gets a response from the king, and it's probably not what he was hoping for. And in this, we see that when we obey God's Word, He will use Satan's efforts for our good. When we obey God's Word, He will use Satan's efforts for our good, right? The enemies of God's people want to get the work stopped. But what happens? Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the, the province beyond the river, Shethor Bonzani and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. I mean, that's pretty clear. Not only is the work to continue, but nobody is... Don't you guys go, dare, dare go near them. The king says... Listen, leave them alone. And not only that, verses 8 to 10 tells us the work is to be fully funded. Leave them alone. By the way, you're going to pay for it. And not only are they going to pay for it, they're going to provide all the animals for the sacrifices in the temple, all the bulls and the ram and the sheep. And not only that, anyone that does oppose them is going to have this very extreme punishment. At one of the beams from your roof is going to be taken out and you're going to be impaled on it, and we're going to turn your house into a dung heap. Like, I mean, very extreme punishment. But the point is that God, you, uh, God uses everything the enemies were trying to do for the good of his people. Now, now don't get me wrong, the, King Darius, he had his own motives in this. Like, he wants the temple to be completed because he wants the, he wants the Jews to pray to God for his success. But God uses His motives for the good of His people. God uses the motives of a king that doesn't even know Him or recognize Him for the good of His people. In everything the enemies wanted for the Jews, the opposite happens. God honors His people. This is an incredible turnaround. God is working all of this for the good of His people. And listen, the Bible teaches over and over and over again that God turned Satan's efforts against His people into blessings for them, not just here in Ezra and Nehemiah, but Satan succeeded in having Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, crucified. But all that did was, was fulfill God's plan to save His people. You think of the life of the Apostle Paul. Satan caused the Apostle Paul to be to be imprisoned and bitten by snakes and and shipwrecked, but all that did was spread the gospel to places that it wouldn't have otherwise gone. This is what God does. There is no setback, no failure, no tragedy, no disappointment, no defeat that God cannot use to fulfill His purposes and bless you. The gospel is a story of God using Satan's efforts to bless His people. This is just how God works. Last week, I talked about how Jesus looks like a failure. Jesus does look like a failure until Easter Sunday. So be encouraged in whatever you're facing right now, especially the opposition. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't believe I have to go back into the office tomorrow because I had this conversation on Friday and I didn't handle it well and, and these guys are still asking me those difficult questions. Whatever you're facing, God uses Satan's efforts to bless His people. And God wants to bless you. He is blessing you. He has blessed you in Jesus. And when we obey God's Word and let Him guide us and shape our lives, He will bless us because God always keeps His promises and His will will be done. And this brings us on to our last section this morning. When we obey God's Word, we will experience God keeping His promises. When we obey God's Word, we'll experience God keeping His promises. In verse 15, uh, yeah, verse 15, the temple is rebuilt. What God has said would happen has finally happened. God stirred the king's heart for the people that returned from exile all the way back in chapter 1. God told them to come back and build the temple. God led them through the opposition, and now God has kept His word, and the temple is complete. But notice verse 14 with me for a second. This verse is some way... Key to understanding this whole passage, it says, "And the elders, uh, and the elders of the Jews, built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel, and the, by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The temple was built. Their work for God went well. They prospered. It says, but how did they prosper? They prospered." through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. It was was listening to God. It was obeying God. It was following God, letting God guide them and lead them that caused them to prosper. It wasn't because they were expert builders. It wasn't because they had the best architects. It wasn't because they were the best structural engineers or or imported the best materials. we, We all know the obstacles they faced along the way, but it was because they listened to what God was saying That they prospered. The prophets spoke God's word. The leaders uh, led the people in the direction that God's word was guiding them. And through this process, the people prospered. And the point is that when we obey God's word, we will prosper in our work for Him. If If we listen to God through His word and obey it in our lives, He will direct us, and that will lead us on paths of what He has called us to do. And when we are obedient to God's Word and doing what He calls us to do, we can't fail. God is faithful to His Word, and so we need to be faithful to His Word. And being obedient to God's word, listen, that's not gonna mean that that some of that's not gonna mean that all of us will move across the world and, and be missionaries. I mean some of you will, some of you should, and not all of us are are gonna step out and plant churches, although some of you should, and we need more people willing to do that. But for most people, obeying God's word means being faithful to Him in the small things, in the everyday. Being sacrificially generous with your time and your money, opening up your home to those in need. Sharing the good news of Jesus. Being honest and upfront when people oppose you. Having integrity. What does Jesus say when the scribe asks him, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is a summary of the law. And then Jesus says to the scribe, you're close to the kingdom because you figured this out. Listen, that's what we do. We, we, if, we, if we are obeying God's Word, it, for us it looks like that. Love God and then love your neighbors. This is what obedience to God's, work or God's Word will look like in our lives. And if we want to grow in our faithfulness and we want to grow in our obedience to God, then we need to spend time listening to Him, right? We need to spend time in His Word. We need to read it and meditate on it and absorb it and listen to it. This is how we hear God speaking to us. Here's, here's a challenge for you. Something that I did this week. Uh, you didn't know this, but I did. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wild for, like, taking, the, when I go into the bathroom, I'll, I'll leave it at that, bringing my phone in with me. And uh, this week, I decided, instead of doing that, um, because Twitter is dying a death, I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible instead. That's, you know, I won't tell you how many times that is, I don't know, but try that. Like, I mean, a little thing. Spend time in God's Word. Listen to Him speak. See how your life changed. Sometimes people say to me, I just can't hear. Um, I, I just, I just, I'm just not clear on what God's saying. I want to hear God speak to me. I, I want Him to direct me. But then it turns out they're not reading the Bible. And you're like, that's like, that's like saying, complaining about the fact that your friend never speaks to you. But then you're the one who doesn't actually take any time to meet up with them or sit down and listen to them. God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to His people. He is speaking to, to us through His Word. And He wants to speak to us this week. So why not just open your Bible and listen? Just listen to Him. It doesn't matter if you're reading it going, I don't, really, I don't really, I have loads of questions. It's good. Write them down. God, tell me how the answer to these questions. But take it in. Listen to it. And He will reveal it to you. He will reveal what He's saying to you for your life. And when we do this, when we listen to His Word and we're obedient to it, we'll experience God fulfilling His promises. This is what happened in Ezra chapter 6. The people uh, obeyed God's Word and they prospered. The temple was completed and then they respond by celebrating one of the main feasts of the Jewish calendar, the Passover. This is the last uh, from verse 19 onwards. Now the Passover is the festival that celebrates and looks back to when God rescued His people out of slavery in Egypt. So, God, through His prophet, God speaking to His people, told them, take a lamb, each household take a lamb that has no blemishes, then kill it. And by the way, you get to eat it, so that's good. You get a nice Sunday roast out of it. But, I kill it, and then sprinkle the blood on the doorpost of your house, and, and then when they did this, when God's judgment came through the land of Egypt, all the households that were marked by the blood of the Lamb were spared. It was through God's judgment coming and the people being saved by the blood of the Lamb that God fulfilled His promises and brought them safely out of Egypt. The Passover is a feast of remembering that God keeps His promises, that God is faithful to His Word. Remembering that when we, we heed God's Word, we won't face judgment we will receive mercy and grace. God kept His promises to them. God turns the plans of the Egyptians, the enemies, into blessing for His people. The Passover was looking back and remembering that God is faithful to His Word. But not only does the Passover look back to Egypt, it also looks forward to Jesus. Jesus is the new and final Passover lamb the sacrifice and blood applied to His people so that they won't face the the judgment of God. Like, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God keeping His Word. And this Passover feast, celebrated at the completion of the temple, was all pointing forward to the coming of Jesus, the one through whom God would fulfill all His promises. When salvation of the world would be for all the peoples of the world, not just the Israelites. And we see hints of this already starting to happen in verse 21. It was eaten, the the Passover meal was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. It wasn't just the Israelites who joined the Passover. See, God was already showing us, listen, salvation is going to come for all the peoples. Anyone who comes and joins me. And if you aren't a Christian here this morning, then the invitation for you to join the feast is open for you too. You don't have to perform any sacrifices to make yourself pure and clean, but like in the Old Testament times here, you can just come to God through believing in the sacrifice of Jesus who died to make you pure and clean. Through the events of Ezra chapter six, God was putting into motion a plan that would offer salvation for all the peoples of the world. I wish this was the start of Advent, and it would be great looking forward to that, wouldn't it? A plan that there's something happened here. God is starting to work, a plan that would secure salvation for anyone who trusts in the blood of Jesus. You see how all Scripture is about Jesus? See how all of it points to Jesus? Everything points to Him. Every promise, every word, every verse is fulfilled by Him. And it's not just the Passover in Ezra chapter 6 that points to Jesus. It clearly does. But it's also the obedience of the people to God's Word. Now, of course, we should learn from the example of the people in Ezra 5 and uh, 6 and and learn from their example of, of hearing God's Word and being obedient to that and prospering through that. But their obedience is meant to draw our attention to an even greater obedience. Like, we'll see later on when we come back to Ezra and Nehemiah after Christmas that that actually they weren't perfectly obedient to God. But in this passage, through their obedience, we see a glimpse of the perfect obedience of Jesus. Like, He is the only one who perfectly obeyed and was faithful to God's Word. Jesus perfectly obeyed what the Father wanted Him to do. In Ezra chapter 6, we see obedience to God's Word that leads to the Passover. And in Jesus, we find obedience to God's Word that leads to His sacrifice. His once and for all sacrifice that would secure salvation for anyone who believes in Him. This is why Romans chapter 5, 19 tells us that by one man's disobedience, Adam, Sin came into the world, but but by the obedience of Jesus to the Father, many are made right with God. And so, here's what I want to finish with today. God calls us to follow Jesus by keeping His Word. And he speaks to us through the Bible, and when we live in the way it shows us to, we're living in obedience of God. And I want all of us to go away today with a renewed desire and a renewed commitment to listen to and obey God's Word. I really want us to, to grasp that and get that. But here's the thing. None of us have the ability to perfectly obey God. And you don't need me to tell you that. You, you just know it. I mean, maybe even this morning, you're struggling with the guilt and the failure. All the ways you, you feel God this week, all the ways you've, you've not obeyed what He said or not even listened to Him. Maybe all your thoughts about God and faith and Jesus and Christianity and all those kinds of things, maybe all your thoughts about that are actually thoughts about how much of a failure you are or how much you don't measure up or how, I'm not a very good Christian, but here's the grace. Here's the grace of the gospel for us this morning. It's not your obedience that makes you right with God. It's Christ's. It's His obedience that makes you right with God. By one man, By one man's disobedience, sin entered the world, but by one man's obedience, many are made righteous. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's word because we can't. And it's his obedience that led to to his sacrifice that makes us right with God. He's the Passover lamb, He's the one who secures the salvation, and all we have to do is believe in Him. So this week, when you're trying your best to follow God's word, and you just seem to feel time and time again, and I'm not trying to set you up for failure. I really want you to strive and do your best to, to follow God's word this week. But but when you feel and when I feel, and when you seem in this cycle of failure and guilt, remember Jesus' obedience. His obedience that led to death so that we can be right with God. So this week, when when you're saying, I just can't, Lord. I just can't do it. Remember that the gospel is that Jesus does what we can't. When you're just saying, "I can't do it, Lord," I don't have it in me. I'm struggling. Just remember that what, the, what Jesus has done, what we can't. And it's this, through this, through our complete and utter dependence on Him. I remember this uh, episode of The Simpsons where uh, Homer and Marge. I can't believe I'm talking about The Simpsons right now, but. Homer and Marge are, are, are fighting, and, and, and she's like, You don't bring anything to this marriage. And finally, by the end of the episode, he realizes he's like, Marge, I do bring something to this uh, marriage. I bring my complete and utter dependence on you. I depend on you for everything. That's the gospel. Jesus says, You don't bring anything to this marriage. And we say, I bring my complete and utter dependence on you. So it's through our complete and utter dependence on him that we can be faithful to his word, because he is faithful to his word. Isn't that lovely how that works? Come Holy Spirit, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we want to thank you for your word, that you haven't uh, gone silent, that you haven't left us trying to figure out things on our own, that you do speak to us, that you are, your word is alive and active, that you have given us your spirit so that when we read your word and hear your word, that, that he can make it alive and apply it to our lives. Uh, Lord, we pray that was, that's what will be happening right now. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. You love us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. That means that, that, that we can just completely and utterly depend on you. We depend on your obedience, not our obedience. But Lord, we do ask that you would just help us to obey you this.